one year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I want to try trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? You would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Trappers love game trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Herb Lennon Game Magazine. Instruction from Herb Lennon. Herb Lennon's articles, the Herb Lennon ads. Two information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because we're working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you've got variables to change the characters, you've got bog trap. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the first shed, this is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for listening in. Great to have you. Thanks for tuning in. We are brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures. K-A-A-T-Z. Bros.com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cotsburst has a full line of trapping supplies, trap snares, baits, lures, books, DVDs, everything you need to get started on the trap line. Brought to you by OnX Maps. Use your phone as a GPS on the trap line. Mark the trap locations, get landowner information, scout using the latest aerial imagery, and all kinds of other tools you can use at OnXMaps.com. Use the code TRAP, T-R-A-P, for 20% off. And Moyle Mink Container, you get your fur tan by the professionals, Moyle.net, M-O-Y-L-E.net, family-run company out of Idaho. They do an incredible job, and you got to get that fur tan to preserve it for the long term so you can decide what you're going to do with it later. When we're in a poor fur market, it's really nice to have fur set aside that you can uh, market, have a, have a more flexible uh, marketing strategy for that fur. Or maybe you just want to hang it on the wall. Maybe this is one of your first animals of a particular species you caught and you want to get it tanned. Uh, go to moyle.net, M-O-Y-L-E.net, and use their online customer portal to get your fur tan faster. All right, thank you guys for tuning into the podcast, and thanks for the YouTube live tuning in. I just decided to uh, stream this live as I got ready to record this podcast. This episode kind of lends itself to live streaming because um, I don't have a real tight agenda tonight. So anyway, um, I have a couple of pretty loose topics and I thought I'd have the live stream going so that if folks want to listen in, maybe add a, a few comments. I'll try to check in on that every once in a while. And I don't know really how long the the episode is going to go. We'll just kind of see how how things roll here. But anyway, a um, couple guys already checking in. Kind of funny. I don't, I, I don't, advertise this. I have no regular schedule, uh, no plans on live streaming at a particular time. So uh, it's amazing how people just come right on uh, through the magic of YouTube. So Mountain Mariner off Grid Alaska and my side, hey, New Brunswick, awesome. Yeah, I remember you, you were in on a previous live stream, I, I believe. Um, yeah, so good. So if you're listening to the podcast, uh, you, you're going to hear me get a little bit interrupted here and there. So I uh, appreciate you uh, bearing with that. But anyway, um, 
what I wanted to talk about. So where I'm at in Maine, our trapping season starts tomorrow, our general general trapping season. But uh, we've had we've had some early seasons going on here the past two weeks. So I've got I've picked up a little bit of fur, some beavers, uh, mainly just damage control. But I've I've really slowed down this year, mainly because of uh, if you guys do listen to the podcast, if you YouTube guys listen in, uh, a lot of other things I've got going on, and it's uh, it's hard to you got to decide how much money you're willing to lose trapping and how much uh, how how much time and effort and uh, fuel gas uh, you're gonna spend. But anyway, um, so. One of the questions I had from a listener a couple weeks ago, and I I did respond to that person uh, because it was getting close to the beginning of their season, so I wanted to to let them know uh, my thoughts, but I figured it would be a good thing to discuss with uh, a wider audience was that question about when to start trapping. So everybody's season opens at a different time, and uh, that's, that's pretty unique to the state and the area you're in, the climate and everything else. But uh, the question of do I start trapping as soon as the season opens or do I wait uh, until a later date is a, a really interesting one that has a lot of different answers and it really depends on your situation. So uh, Bucker up 11, I've been 13 years since I ran a trap line. Enjoy watching the YouTube trappers, yeah. Judith and Dan Davis, Mississippi, checking in. Their season opens Monday. See, uh, even down there in Mississippi, they get an early season, uh, early opener uh, relative to, you know, the t- the 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 way that weather and temperature is down there. I don't imagine it's too cold. Um, but anyway, uh, some of the things to consider. You know, when do I start trapping? So, uh, this question, I'm gonna p- actually pull it up my email so I can get a better. Uh, so I can kind of uh, get a little more accurate read on it. It says, I live in Wisconsin. Our trapping season opens up this weekend, October 16th. This will be my second season and mostly be targeting coyotes and raccoons this year. It's been a pretty warm fall, and I'm wondering if I'd be better off waiting a few weeks before I set my traps to let the fur prime out or if I can get out and start right away. Um, thanks much, Ben. So thanks, Ben, for for the, the question. Um, a couple of things to, to think about right there. So... First off, let's talk about the fur, the primeness of the fur. So a lot of the state seasons are are geared towards um, not allowing people to start trapping until the fur gets prime. And that was kind of a traditional thing back when fur actually had value. Uh, it, it was, you know, some sort of considered wasteful in a lot of ways, and, and it still is considered wasteful if you go ahead and, and start trapping an animal before the fur uh, becomes prime and has has full value. So you get to think of, well, why don't people just, you know, who cares about uh, open the season early and let people decide when they're going to start trapping on their own. And that's great, except for the fact that um, we live in a society, especially in the United States, where we're free people and you can pretty much, uh, if you're on public land or if you're on land that's uh, open access to the public, uh, you can't stop somebody else from trapping where you trap. And so there's competition there. And in times when fur is valuable, there can be a lot of competition 
out there to people trying to catch the same fur. And so when the season opens early, you kind of need to get out there uh, to get ahead of the other guy and, you know, catch those animals before your competition does. Uh, this has become a lot less of a problem, obviously, in recent years because fur isn't really worth much. Um, it, it probably wasn't as much of a problem in southern states to begin with because uh, the, the value is different. A lot of times the, the trapping in southern states tends to be, uh, uh, other than the water animals, but I mean like the coyotes uh, and, and other land animals, a lot of it's damage control, a lot of it's population management, so it has less to do with the value of the fur. But if you're in a really uh, area that has has really good fur, you you can run into that issue where um, the the season if the season's too early, everybody's just going to catch early fur and it's not going to be prime. Uh, so a lot of trappers actually in the past have petitioned state agencies to change their seasons or make their seasons later, so that when everybody gets out there and traps, uh, the fur is is going to be prime. Uh, a part about the question on on the fur primeness and the timing and the weather. Um, one thing to consider there is my understanding about how fur primes is that the, the main trigger there is day length. So it's photo period. Uh, as the days get shorter in the fall, uh, there's a, a cue there that the, the animal takes in um, that, that allows them to... Uh, uh, basically tells their body to start producing uh, start start producing thicker fur and to grow in that under fur uh, and and to prime up and so the the timing of fur priming up actually has way more to do with day length than it does with climate and so you can have some unseasonably warm weather for a couple weeks at the beginning of trapping season uh, but if if your trapping season lines up with when that animal normally primes uh, it's not going to matter. It, those those animals are going to have their their coats are going to start thickening up regardless of whether it's 50 or 60 degrees because because there's a uh, a biological trigger there that's taking place. Now, if the animals got furthest primed up and it's warm out, they're probably not likely to be moving around as much. It's like uh, us, you know, if it's 60 or 70 degrees and you got a winter coat on and your long johns and everything, you're not going to be motivated to to move around and and get all hot and uh, and wear yourself out that way. So uh, it, that that can affect uh, your catch the catchability can can affect your effect your efficiency as a trapper, I should say. Uh, so so that's something to consider. But I wouldn't worry about the fur primeness. And uh, if if you are considering, you know, if we if we were in a time where uh, there was a decent fur market and you could sell pretty much anything that you catch uh, that might be a little bit of a different th consideration so uh, one of the things to think about animals like coyotes coyotes tend to prime up relatively early so our season in northern Maine starts usually around the 15th to the 20th of October which seems to be pretty early uh, relative to a lot of places uh, but our, our coyotes you know the last time I trapped coyotes during that early season I think half of them uh, graded uh, number one, um, and and they were nice, full, already prime pelts, um, heavies, um, heavies, uh, and then the other half graded semi heavies. And so I was kind of actually kind of surprised, you know, mid October and it's warm and rainy and 
uh, your cold weather hasn't really hit yet most years, uh, they, those coyotes still were primed up. Now, if you're talking about raccoons, those are there's very specific time period when those raccoons are prime, and it depends on the state. Where I'm at in the northern area, uh, if you don't catch coons early, you're not going to catch them because they're going to den up. It gets it, it snaps cold, turns into winter quick here, and uh, you don't. Other than the early season, we don't tend to catch very many coons. Um, if you're in a place like the Midwest, the upper Midwest, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, maybe a um, place where you can tend to have some really good quality coons, some big, big raccoons. Uh, there is a very short time period from what I've been told that those raccoon pelts are really prime. Uh, it tends to be like, uh, I, I think they say like they're in, in Wisconsin, I think a lot of guys talk about uh, during their deer season, which is like nine or 10 days long. That's when the best raccoon uh, pelts are uh, come out of that those areas. So uh, those that's something to consider if you're really looking looking for um, for just just trapping when the pelts are perfect. Uh, you may you may consider that. So oh all right, let me catch up on the on the live chat here. Um, BT Trapper, what's up, Keith uh, Navarro? Multitasking <laughs> college hockey game and and uh, the live stream, cool. Loki uh, from Wisconsin, been a great season already. Got 14 coyotes already. Awesome. 70 Land Cruiser, hey, the kid. Hey, you working on that podcast, Land Cruiser? How, how's that going? Um, I got uh, three people have offered to help me out doing some podcast episodes, uh, I, but I don't know if any of them is going to pan out just yet. We'll have to see. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I'd love to have some other people kind of chip in and do an episode here or there, give me a break and give other people some, something else to listen to. So, uh, yeah, we we're talking about um, when to start trapping. So, so that's, you know, if you're looking at just primeness of the pelt, certain animals you're going to want to start later. Uh, if you're in an, a real competitive area, you're going to want to start earlier. And uh, for me, um, I, it's, it's ironic because this is not typically what I tend to do, but I'm actually not going to start trapping tomorrow. Uh, looking at our forecast, I have... Um, Got some good content. Awesome. All right, man. Look, looking at our weather forecast for the next few days, if I set out tomorrow, I actually have some, uh, I have to be in the woods for work for three days, Monday through Wednesday. So I can't check these traps until Thursday. These are going to be killer traps. Uh, it's Martin Fisher trapping, body grip traps. So the, the animals are going to be dead. Uh, the issue is I, uh, I don't want to lose any fur and I don't want to, uh, Want, want to catch uh you know you get animals where it looks like the weather forecast coming up here in the next few days is going to be 40s and 50s during the day and some sun's going to be out so things are going to warm up uh, it's going to freeze most nights but it's still going to get pretty warm during the day and uh you know you, you i've had animals get a little green in the past you know i've never really lost any fur due to the warm weather but it's just it's just not a great uh it's not a great thing to deal with so I've actually, you know, I would have, I would have checked a little earlier if I could, but due to the work schedule and everything, I've decided I'm not even going to set tomorrow. We're also going to get half to three quarters of an inch of rain. Uh, we're also in a time where uh, we got lots of food in the woods. So early, especially early in the season, it's going to be hard to get Martin and Fisher to come to the traps. Uh, I already know it's going to be a lot slower season than it was last year. And so I'm kind of, you know, taking it easy, slowing down, waiting for the weather to cool down. I'm going to set next weekend. 
uh, and then and then get going from there. It looks like we will have some colder weather coming in at that time. Um, so th so that's a little different than actually what I was going to say. Is in my advice uh, to was who was Eric um, in or uh, Ben in Wisconsin. My advice, you know, to him based on what I typically do was, listen, I would start, I, most cases, if the season's open, I'm going to start trapping. I'm not going to slow down because I've had too many cases, especially where I trap, where the weather is so unpredictable that if you don't take advantage of things right from the beginning of the season, you may not you may ever get a chance to make a big catch. And so uh, for us, we could have two, three weeks of really great weather. Like last year, last year was like a month, over a month of perfect coyote and fox trapping weather. I mean, dirt trapping was perfect. It was really unseasonably warm for us. But uh, most years, we're going to get uh, a week to 10 days at the beginning of the season, which is mid to late October, where we have uh, really good conditions for trapping for coyotes. And then we get snow, we get rain, we get ice, it melts, it freezes, it just, or we can get two feet of snow the first week of November, which we've had uh, two, three years ago. Um, it seems like every couple, three years that seems to happen. And uh, then it puts us out of business for, for quite a while. And, and sometimes that snow never leaves until the following uh, April. So uh, I would say, you know, other than what I just talked about, all the different uh things that could be going on for the most part just trap when you can if if the season's open uh, and you can get out there i wouldn't hesitate because it's just too many times people said oh well this you know i want to let the fur prime up a little more i can't do this i want to do that and uh, i'm just gonna wait and then when you wait something happens something gets in the way and you never really get to do what you want to do so yeah that's that's kind of my thoughts uh judith and coyote whacker what's up Judith and Dan get a lot of winter rains that flood the creeks. Uh, have to catch with the water conditions. Yeah, so you, you that's the same thing. You just have to get out there and do it when you can. So that's that's my thoughts on when to start trapping. You guys in the chat, if you have any other thoughts on what you do, uh, what causes you to decide, you know, whether you're going to start when the season opens or, uh, you know, there's actually some places. When I was in Montana, there was no closed season for coyotes, so you could start anytime you wanted. So guys were pretty, pretty free there. Some guys would go way up in the high country, uh, in even early October and start trapping there and work their way down. So it just all depends. But but yeah, uh, Mountain Mariner in Alaska, two feet of snow already. Yeah, I, I got a, I don't know where you're at, uh, Mountain Mariner, but I I get a friend that just moved up to Fairbanks uh, from Northern Maine. And uh, he's been ice fishing for the last two weeks, like every day. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's a lot different than uh, than the weather we've been having. Sounds like it's been pretty cold there for sure. So, um, yeah. And any other thoughts? Just let me know when what you, causes you to decide when to start trapping, and and uh, we'll we'll rattle those off if if we get any thoughts from you. And then we're gonna talk about boxes. So, I have my Martin boxes and Fisher boxes here behind me. Uh, seven inches of ice on my lake, Mountain Mariner. Oh, man, winter come early there. So, the reason I brought up this topic, or oh, I'm bringing up this topic, and here is my box, my uh, Lynx exclusion device. 
that I use for Martin and Fisher trapping. That is one of the designs. And I really hate to talk about it much, but uh, a lot of you guys have watched the YouTube videos on my Martin trapping, and we have to use those. We don't get a choice. If we're using body grip traps, we got to use those. So uh, it is, it's something that I get tons and tons of feedback from. A lot of people must just watch the videos and don't realize that we're required to use those links exclusion devices and think, wow, um, this guy catches a lot of Martin. Look at all these Martin. He's catching these boxes. And, and how do I make those boxes? What are your designs? People have asked me for the pattern. They've asked me what I make them out of, um, where I get the stuff, what, what I suggest and all this stuff. And, and how I want to make some boxes like yours. That's a great idea. And it just kills me because I keep thinking, no, you don't want to make boxes like mine. Not if you want to catch fur. <laughs> so, uh, Jason, how's a pine martin? How long do you taint beaver before using it? So, Jason, um, and guys listening to the podcast on on the the regular schedule, weekly schedule that I I upload this every weekend, um, you're gonna hear a lot of interruptions because I'm just gonna rattle off uh, guys from the YouTube live stream here uh, that are asking questions. I'm gonna try to answer them. So, Jason, um, I started out uh, I started out with rotten meat. That's that's what I was using for Martin, and the reason I did that was because I watched this video Martin trapping for maximum dollars. It was uh, I think it was Lynn Merrill from Alaska. He was on Prince of Wales Island back in the must have been 30 years ago, and the the kid was catching Martin like crazy, just unbelievable numbers of Martin. He was making I think the, he was making like a thousand bucks a week Martin trapping back then when a thousand bucks was like you know, 2,500 today, uh, really, really effective. Um, and so I just like watched that video and I saw all those more and I was like, man, I just, I have to do what this, whatever this guy's doing, I got to do it. So what he did was he, uh, he put, take his meat, he put it in Ziploc bags, put it in a 55 gallon drum in the middle of the summer and just let it rot, rot down to the nastiest, most disgusting, smelliest meat bait that you could ever have. And I spent a few years uh, primarily using that stuff, um, rotten, down, nasty, smelly meat. Um, looking back on it, I probably should have, um, <laughs> I should have thought a little more about that. Uh, not, uh, and that's just like the same question with the boxes. You know, people say, "Oh, this guy's catching Martin in Maine. Look at those boxes. He must, he must be doing it right. I want to make boxes like that." No, you don't looking back I realized that this guy was catching all these Martin because that area was loaded loaded with Martin uh, it was if I remember right it was an island where Martin were introduced it, they they hadn't been there historically they didn't have a lot of natural predators uh, they the habitat was unbelievably high quality it, it was overrun with Martin you it didn't matter what you used you were going to catch Martin so that wasn't necessarily the best bait. That's just what worked for him, and and so that's what he used. Uh, I I've talked to a trapper in in southeast Alaska since then, and from what I've been told, that area has been very very heavily harvested for timber. It's totally changed. The habitat for martin isn't there anymore like it was, and the martin numbers are way way down. And so um, there you go. But anyway, uh, I started off really tainted rotten meat. I've moved towards uh, fresh beaver meat, 
and I, I try to get it as fresh as possible. I've taint, I've tainted some of it slightly. I've tainted and preserved it. I've preserved it fresh with salt, with sodium benzoate. Uh, I've done all that stuff, um, mixed results. The best results that I have is fresh beaver. I, if I get meat ahead of time, spring beaver trapping, I'll freeze as much as I can, uh, as much as I have freezer space for. And I take that out, thaw it out a few days before the season. I set it out fresh, and then it does tend to taint and age a little bit over time, over the course of the season, especially if you get you know those 50-degree days. 50 to 60 degree days it will start to age that meat it'll get a little smell to it um but fresh fresh beaver meat seems to do great for me um everybody in maine says fish doesn't work uh they say beaver is the only way to go i've actually the last two years i've had i think two three times the success rate using fish um that's something i don't talk about much but uh, there it is um a certain particular species of fish seems to work for me but i don't know that that matters either um Anything with fat works well in cold weather. Uh, they they tend to uh, to be much more likely to to want to to um, stock up on fat during during those cold temperatures. So uh, so that seems to work well. Uh, beef doesn't seem to work that great. Chicken works really good. Um, uh, deer and moose scraps seem to work really good as well. So um, most most any meat's gonna work. I wouldn't rot it. I wouldn't rot it, but I I uh, I would either fresh or maybe slightly tainted. Uh, Coyote whacker already started in New York. Uh, the rain has been relentless. Yeah, we got half to three quarter inch tomorrow coming in. Coyote whacker here in Maine. Uh, Jack, hey, can't wait to hear all about the boxes. Just talking last night about making a few chili down here in Orono. Okay, so you have to, Jack has to use them. Jack has to use the boxes. Season is here. Yeah. Um, Land Cruiser setting heavy tomorrow. Fortunately, I'm able to check twice a day. This weather makes it tough. Three days straight rain, and now more rain on the way. Yeah, got to do it. So um, the boxes for guys that don't have to use them, don't use them. Please don't do it. Um, now if you really, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think, uh, Hey bull. Yeah. I don't ask you like bull says hit the thumbs up guys. Yes. Thank you guys. Hit the thumbs up. I would appreciate that. We get, it's like seven thumbs up. Let's, let's, uh, let's, uh, knock that up a few notches here. Um, I don't know if that, I think that does something for the algorithm. Maybe gets more people following. So that'd be good. But, um, so so let let's talk about why if you don't live in the state of Maine and you don't have to use a Lynx exclusion device, uh, why would you want to use this? Um, if you're in an area where you're you're near uh, domestic dogs and cats, maybe you want to be able to set body grip traps and not have to worry about catching somebody's pet. This could be a good option. Um, maybe you don't want to catch skunks and raccoons. Uh, that could be, this could be an option. Uh, I, people that maybe you want to make sure you don't catch birds. Now, there are a lot of other things you can do to avoid birds when, when you're trapping for Martin and Fisher with body grip traps, but, uh, this is an option. Okay. So, so there are some reasons that you could want to use these, but please don't say, oh, this guy catches them on his YouTube video. Um, it, so I, I need to, you know, I need to make some boxes like this so I'll catch Martin. No, you don't. 
Um, you see them on the YouTube video because you just see all the animals I catch. You don't see uh, the 50 to 60 traps a day that I go up to that are empty. All right. So um, I'm using these because they're required by the state to legally trap with body grip traps uh, for Martin and Fisher. And so the, the details of this box, I'm going to try to push the camera back a little ways so you can maybe see a little bit more of the box. Um, so your bait goes here in the back of the box and your trap goes where these, the, this slot is here and this slot holds the springs of the trap and as the spring, when the spring is, when the trap's set, the spring sets there and when the trap fires, the spring has this open area to come out to um, so that it can completely fire the trap. Um, there's a hinge on the top so that these two pieces can come apart and you can get your bait and your trap in. And then this whole section here on the front of the box is, I, mine are 19 inches. They're required to be a minimum of 18 inches. Um, this is the Lynx exclusion portion. So you have to have at least 18 inches from where your trap is set to where the entrance of the box is. And then the entrance has to be no more than 4 inches by 4 inches diameter. And so what that does is basically makes it impossible for a Canada lynx, which are, uh, they're very common here, but the federal government still considers them a threatened species. They were supposed to delist them because they're, you know, they biologically, they're not required. They don't need to be listed. There's tons and tons of lynx. They have great habitat. They're doing really well here. Um, a lot of people would argue, I think quite successfully, uh, you know, makes sense to say we we should have a trapping season for lynx you know they're they're more common than bobcat up here in northern maine actually by far more common than bobcat so so they're doing well but the law states we can't catch any any of these cats and so what this does is a lynx can't fit its head through here a lynx could fit its paw through here but it's not going to get that 18 inches before its shoulders stop it um, so it can't get in and fire the trap and get caught and so this is kind of like a foolproof way of avoiding catching lynx. Um, it's been, I think we've been five, six years, six, seven years of using these. Uh, and, and no lynx, to my knowledge, to anybody's knowledge, have, have been caught using these. So they work really well. The problem is uh, people call these Fisher exclusion devices because <laughs> the lynx exclusion devices do make it very difficult to catch Fisher. Uh, and in a lot of ways, they make it difficult to catch Martin. And so, for a guy, uh, why? First off, let's let's sit back and think: Why on earth are we using a box to begin with? Because when I started Martin trapping, the most effective set was go under the root of a tree, shove a piece of bait down there, and stick a 120 in front of the the opening there. Right? That was an incredibly effective uh, tool. That was how you did it. So why are you using the box? All right, off-grid uh, talks. Make one of the two boxes smaller so you can slide the smaller inside the larger. Um, you could, there. this is kind of as small as you can get it. So you'd have to make a bigger one that you'd be able, and you can't really slide because uh, I guess you might be able to, but you'll see the way this opens up. It's, it's just, it's really awkward. Because remember, the, the bigger one's going to have to open up like this as well. And then you're going to have to try to fit one inside the other. 
So, yeah, so that's what that's what that's gonna gonna look like. And then you're gonna have to have something, you know, say this is bigger. You have something that you could fit in there, and you you'd have to be able to kind of swing this down, or you'd have to change the way that this uh, comes together. It's it's a real pain. But anyway, um, I I fit uh, I fit about thirty of thirty to forty of those in the back of my um, truck. Now. There are two different types of these devices. Uh, the 120 style is what you just saw. That's that's for a 120 or 155 body grip, a, a four and a half by four and a half inch or five inch by five inch body grip. But if you want to use a 160 or a 220 size trap, you got to use the bigger box, and there are different requirements for this. The bigger box, you can't just have that straight shot for where the entrance is to get. To, through to the bait. So this is the bigger box. And this is the back where you put your bait. This is where your trap goes. And then this is your entrance. And your entrance actually, uh, this has to be, again, 18 inches from the trap to the nearest opening. But the animal has to go 90 degrees. So the animal has to go in. This is uh, six, I think this is six inch by seven inch maximum. And then this one is six inch by six inch on the inside. And so the animal has to come in, turn 90 degrees, and then go 18 inches through your trap and then get to the bait. Um, this is a bigger opening, which would, uh, would make it, seem like it would be much more likely for to be able to catch fishers uh, in these because you know fish are quite a lot bigger than martin actually believe it or not um, i've done a lot of experimenting with this i've had friends that do have done the same thing and the uh this is more of a fisher exclusion than the little tiny box believe it or not so for some reason just having to make that 90 degree turn uh, it really, even though the hole is much hole size opening size is much bigger, fisher just don't don't want to do it. Um, there's another design where you can make have like an offset, uh, where you have an opening and then another opening offset, and they have to do kind of a little zigzag. Uh, that that's kind of similar to this. They just don't their body doesn't seem to want to turn uh, that way very easily. Um, very very seldom catch fishers in these. I do catch them in here, but. Like my first year using both designs, I did 30 of each. I set 60 traps total, 60 boxes, 30 of each, and almost everything came from those little ones. I only I caught a maybe 10, 20% in these big boxes. So it was it was a big deal. It was a big difference. So these I just I maintain the ones I still have, but obviously there's like three, four times as amount of lumber that you need to make these, and they take way more space in the truck. And so I, I get to the point where I, I don't even bother with those big boxes uh, except for the ones I already have on hand. And uh, I'll throw them in areas that I know I'm going to have more fisher around, but it really doesn't seem to make a huge difference. Now, with this box, um, this opening is the maximum, 4-inch by 4-inch. And I have 1-inch uh, uh, panel wire mesh, and so I just cut out four different uh, panels each direction 
to make sure it's exactly four inch by four inch. It might be slightly less, three and seven eighths or something, but I want to get as close as possible. And then after I cut these out, I take a little Dremel tool and I smooth this off so that the little nubs aren't sticking out um, just to make it as open as possible. And the reason for that is I've had Fisher barely fit their body through this and squeeze all the way up through the box to get to the bait so tight that I can't get them back out. I have to take the whole box and the Fisher home, get them in the house, thawed out, and so that I can kind of work their bodies through the rest of the box to get them out. So um, the animal, as you might imagine, has to be really motivated, really hungry to want to want to get in this tight opening and then squeeze their way all the way to the bait. Uh, my maximum seems to be about 12 pounds with Fisher. I've never caught a Fisher much heavier than 12 pounds out of this. Seems to be a lot of females and juvenile males. Not many of those big old apple-headed males. Um, you just, I just think they physically can't fit. So um, they might physically fit through those bigger ones, but they just don't seem to. So anyway, a few things on this. Um, pretend that you are, first we'll start out, you are in a different state and you're not required to use these boxes. Here's what you do. Cut that off. Use this. So that question I asked, what is a box? What's the reason for a box? Box is just a cubby. It's just an artificial cubby, right? All it is is a way to protect your bait and make it so that the only way to get to your bait is through the trap. Now, if you have a suitable habitat where you can make sets uh, all throughout your trap line, you don't need it. You don't need any of these. They just make it easier. Even when we weren't required to use boxes, a lot of trappers just had these. They had newspaper tubes. They just went out, stuck them on trees or, or wherever, and uh, it just made it easier. You stick a trap in front of it. You stick, throw your bait in, stick a trap, put a lure, and you're good to go. So it's just a quick, portable, artificial cubby that you can use to make your trapping easier and more efficient. Um, so what, what I would say is the, the best thing you can do if you don't have any regulations, as big of an opening as is feasible, and as close, keep your trap as close to the bait as possible, and don't have a whole bunch of obstructions in front of the entrance to the box. Um, and uh, the other thing that I use, I talked about it in the last podcast episode. So you YouTube guys, if you didn't listen into that, uh, you're going to have to catch up on the podcast. Um, but I talked about Connie pans. Uh, I use Connie pans in 90, 95% of my sets. And uh, and that, that can help a lot as far as the obstruction thing. I, I talked in more detail about that. So, um, yeah, that's what I would do. So for people who are asking, hey, what would you recommend for boxes? That's what it is. And this is, I think this is six, I think I got six inch board here and a seven inch board here. So that's, uh, what's that, an opening of six by six approximately. The trap is four and a half by four and a half. Um, something like that. That's that's probably pretty good for for most for for any 120 or 155 and then just make it bigger for a 160 or 220 um, but let's pretend that you either have to use these you're in Maine like several of you guys are or you just want to okay you want to use these because you think it's cool I don't know why you would think that but um, 
maybe you think you know the bird thing that you want to avoid any issues with, do- with you won't catch non-targets with this you'll catch martin fisher weasel uh very occasional skunk or raccoon but they're always small ones um so you, say you just convince yourself you want to do this so i'm gonna go through some of the things that i've learned with these boxes that uh if you're gonna use this design if you're gonna use a links exclusion device design what you can do because you can't get very creative because the law is the law and it's written exactly how you get to build these but there are certain things that you can do that i've been able to do to basically minimize screw-ups, minimize refusals, minimize mistakes, that sort of thing. Derek saw a big fish around across the road this afternoon going into deer hunt. Got a set on sign. Yeah, I've been, Derek, I've been so fooled by that. Um, oh, I guess I need some lure, by the way. Um, I, I've been so fooled by that, though. Like, I, I've, the last couple of years, I've seen fish crossing the road in front of me, and I make a set every time. I just go and right away make a set. And, I almost never catch that fisher. It's like, uh, you know, there, at least where I trap seems to be at least seven to 10 days, sometimes two to three weeks before they come back. And I always either miss them when they come back through, or I just happen to, you know, they, they might walk a lot of times walk around the box. and don't go in or uh, I'd pull out and I'm trapping in a different area by then or something. So, um, that's, that's always frustrating. Rising woodsman. Thanks for the info and entertainment. Hey, thank you, man. All right, a box designed for 220s, Judith and Dan. It's nine boxes out of a sheet of plywood. Nice, nice. Okay, so the first thing is you can make these boxes out of wood or wire. Um, always wood. Always use wood. Wood, Yes, wood's heavier. Uh, it's bulky. It's pain in the butt. Always use wood. Um, I started with wire. It's, it's not good. It's not good at all. Uh, uh, speculating on why, what the reason for that is. Mostly, you know, wire isn't that natural anyway, at all. But mostly, it seems my <laughs> life mind works like crap. Uh, wire, the animal can't tell where to go to get to the bait, and you, even with the wood, you see this a lot. Uh, you have the bait in the back of the box and you have an opening here in the front and you got this animal going straight to the bait it smells the bait it comes in it sees the bait from the back of the box why can't i get to that bait it goes around and around it goes up on top they walk on top of the boxes all the time looks back down goes in looks maybe looks on the sides of the springs oh i can't get in there i don't understand and a lot of times it's just especially the cages it's the worst Uh, the box makes it better but they don't realize you have to go away from the bait to get back to it. It's like doing a maze. And uh, if you make it that difficult for an animal, eventually either they're really motivated and they get caught or they're just going to leave. You're not going to catch them. George Wilson try making solid end on the larger box with wire mesh. This way they can see through it. might help them commit to the corner. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good point, George. I have, I've actually looked into that. I've thought about that. Um, and I may do I may do some of that. That's an excellent point. So, um, and that's George. That is one of the reasons I did this the way I did it. And so I went to the wooden boxes because it prevents the animal from. Uh, it, it helps the animal a little more knowing where to go. Um, wood also blends in. It's natural. It's more like a natural cubby. 
um, and, and the animal, if it doesn't come in from the back of the box, it comes in from the side, pretty good chance it's going to make its way to the front and see that that's where it has to go. Um, when I started, I was making these, I started with wire, then I went to wood. And when I went to the wooden boxes, I was making them solid wood and wood on the ends. Okay, so this would be wood, and then I'd have uh, a square, it would actually be a square cut out of the wood. And then here I'd drill a bunch of holes in the back of the box. And I didn't really have a lot of luck with that. Um, I say luck or not, or not having luck. I mean, what I mean is um, I had, th there were cases where I wasn't making catches and I was getting refusals. And I, I can't guarantee that it was because of the box design. But after it happened a few times, I started to think, well, you know, maybe there's something related to, to this part of the box or that part of the box or whatever. Um, and so... So this is what I settled on is a solid side, but I've moved towards uh, the mesh on the ends, on both ends. And so the reason for that is like George was saying, the animal can see through the box. And so, uh, and I've had it, I've tried mesh on the front and solid on the back. I've tried solid on the front, mesh on the back. I've got all different designs. But uh, the biggest thing is, is having this opening for the animal to be able to see through. It makes... A huge difference I don't know why I don't know if it's uh, if you know it's it's pitch black out maybe and having maybe it's a little extra light in the box they can see what's there maybe it's uh, a little comfort like if there's light on the other end you know I can walk through I can run through this possibly um, I don't know what it is but either way having that um, the other thing is I tend with these I get a lot of Martin that are running when, when they get caught, they are on a dead run, and they have their mouth on the bait, clamped down onto the bait when the trap fires, and they're dead instantly. You can see you go and catch them, and they get their mouth just onto the bait while, while they're, after they're caught. So um, it seems to be that it just encourages them to go through. Um, the other thing with the 4-inch by 4-inch hole, and I, I had a million people tell me to do this, and finally I started doing it, uh, just kind of common sense, but... Um, for the larger animals, uh, instead of having a square, I turn that square into a diamond configuration, and it's the same size opening, but as an animal is approaching the set, where their shoulder height is going to be, you tend to be a wider portion of that opening. And so it just seems like it conforms better to the shape of the animal's body. Um, I've had Fisher squeeze into square hole openings and all that. It's fine. Um, but, but this configuration does seem to be a little more suitable for uh, make it a little easier for the animals to, uh, to go through. So that's, that's what I've gone with. Um, the size of the mesh, you can use one inch, inch and a half. Uh, you can use small. You can't use bigger than inch and a half, but you can use smaller. This seemed to work well, and I got it cheap at Martin's. I get a big roll of it, local surplus salvage store. And uh, I, so I've got enough to do probably a 1,000 boxes. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I went with. Works good. Uh, let's see. Real life fire. <laughs> yeah, I won't, I won't say that. Uh, real life. I better not do that. I don't want to get in trouble. Um, 70 Land Cruiser, have a couple boxes with 220s made a sight hole so the fisher can see the bait. Hopefully it works. If not, uh, back to the drawing board. And the, yeah, the sight hole in the baffle. I, I hear you. Uh, I, I've had I've had some people, um, actually, I've seen, 
I've seen this and it's I'm quite sure it's illegal, so don't do this. Uh, but people have cut uh, a four inch by four inch hole in in the that f front opening of the 220 160 box, um, so that the animal may, a marten could go through this way, maybe a bigger a fisher could go through the side. Uh, the way the law is written, I'm quite sure that's not legal, so don't do that. Um, but but this this is the the best that I've come up with now. Um, I, the, there are drawbacks to this design. One of the biggest ones is uh, so even though you're limited by this four inch by four inch opening, to me this size opening is really the big limitation. Uh, especially if, <clears throat> none of the, for Martin, this is not going to be a problem. Okay, and again, Martin four inch by four inch hole is no problem. You're going to catch any Martin in the woods, at least in Maine. Uh, that's no issue. Martin will still refuse just uh, if they're not that hungry. A lot of times they'll just walk on top of the box. They'll come around the back. They'll look at the bait and they'll just decide that this isn't worth the effort or, oh, bird just flew over. I better take off. Oh, there's a fisher coming. You know, this, who knows what, what the reason is. Um, and, and so, you know, they may not decide, oh, I need to go away. Uh, let me look around here. Oh, oh, look, bait's there. Goo, goo, here we go. Um, so that's fine. But but the size-wise, you're going to catch any marten in the woods. The problem is uh, with Fisher, you're going to have a hard time, even though they can make it through the four-inch opening, even for those fishers that can make it through that, when they get through, they're still crowded. Their whole body has to go down this long tube about 24 inches in order to get to the bait and so uh, they almost it's almost like a fisher has to shimmy in like pretend like you're uh, you're crawling through ductwork uh, in a building or in a commercial building or something you know that's what it's like you're crawling through a tunnel um, and, and it's just it's really 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 uh, difficult and so I think a lot of times you will have animals that are discouraged from even entering this box because of how tight it is once they get inside. Uh, the reason that you do catch them is because they're starving. They're really, really hungry. The times that I've caught 11, 12 pound fisher in these boxes has been when there's snow on the ground and it's late in the season and they're really hungry. Now, one way to get around that, there's one trapper up here that does this, is done really, really well. And I should consider it, but there are also drawbacks to this design as well. Um, Five-gallon pail. So anything that you can do to make this opening bigger, so that if you have that four-inch diamond square and the animal makes it through it, that they can actually move around a little bit once they get through and then go to your trap. And um, a, a guy did this with two five-gallon buckets, the opening ends f facing to each other attached. One end has the bait, one end has your, your hole. Animal goes through the four-inch hole, and then you got all the space inside the bucket. Now, of course, then they got to go to the trap, and you have to narrow, you have to funnel them down to as they're going to the bait so that they go through the trap. So there's that issue as well. But... Um, but really, I think that's that's a good way to get around that. The other way is obviously just make a bigger box. Um, but then, you know, you, like I said, 30 or 40 in the back of the truck. That's all I can get. And uh, it's a lot of trips. You know, big boxes are a real pain. 
I was leaving him in the woods. Uh, some of the places I trapped on industrial timberland, uh, I, I had a, uh, some that I left in the woods for two years and half of them were in the middle of clear cuts. They were destroyed, gone. And the habitat was gone. I, didn't need, I wasn't going to trap there again anyway. So um, I've, I'm done with that. I've, I've been pulling them out uh, every, all the time now since then. Um, <laughs> uh, can you put an appetizer near the opening in the main course of the trap mountain? Yes, you can. So I do that sometimes. I put just a little bit of meat here, a little few feathers or something. Uh, get the animal just in a little ways. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that that does anything i've done it i haven't really noticed i i've had i've done it but then again like last year i didn't i don't think i did hardly at all last year and i i i caught tons and tons of martin so it wasn't as much of an issue um another thing that you can do is if you have these on trees uh i did last week's episode if you guys don't listen to the podcast you gotta get on that um i, I talked in the podcast about um setting on trees versus setting on the ground and the differences that I've noticed. Um, you're definitely going to have fewer animals want to climb trees. So, so you got to take that into consideration. But if you do have this on a tree, you know, situated like this on a leaning tree, uh, the odds are that Martin's going to come from the bottom. You know, they do go up in the trees a lot, but most of the time they're traveling on the ground and they're going to come up from the bottom and, they're going to tend to go right through that opening to get to the bait. So that's not going to be an issue. Uh, on the ground, sometimes you can tuck that in underneath some blowdowns uh, or tuck it to the so the back end is like up against a tree, maybe a little brush around it. And so if they're coming from this side of the tree, they're definitely, you know, not going to be encouraged to go around the back side. They're going to, they're going to tend to want to go through the opening. So those are some things that you can do. Um Zach, I love your content. Listen to almost every podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. Uh, going back to foothold. Yes, real life. Um, absolutely. Uh, I, I Next year, my plan is to do a little Fisher Martin line on footholds, mostly Fisher. So uh, I think that's going to be fun. The only problem is I I have to take time off work so I can do daily checks uh, in any amount where, where I want to go trapping because I, I, can't, I can't trap uh, – I can't catch many Martin and Fisher right close to home where I'm at. I catch some, but but yeah, if I if I didn't have a day job, I'd be doing footholds for sure. Uh, bull one Fisher in Pennsylvania. Cousin got 42 inch Fisher in a 120 box. Had to cut the box in the draft. Yeah, for sure. Judith and Dan caught a limit quick. Uh, I don't know if you're talking about me, um, but yeah, I got 14 days. Yeah, I got 25 and 14 days last year. That was a really good. Um, Really good season. So, anyway, a couple of things I wanted to show you on these. Uh, coyote Whacker, I do that for 220s here in New York. Get two traps in there, opening of both ends, cut the bottom uh, six inches high, 10 inches wide, chest four inches back, perfectly legal. Yes, absolutely. That's that's what I would do if, if the law didn't require uh, doing something like this, for sure. Okay, so a few other th parts of this design. Um, the top... I have a hinge here. Uh, you can uh, also coyote whacker, by the way. Uh, in Maine, I know a guy that come up up here to trap, and he did. He made like super long boxes, so he had 18 inches on both sides, and he had a trap on each side and the bait in the middle. Um, boxes were a little awkward. He had 
<laughs> he was, he's an older guy and he was carrying those sound gun things way back in the woods and I felt terrible for him and then you're using up two traps for every every set um it did work he, he actually did catch he didn't I he didn't have a great season I think he, it was a lot of it was the habitat he was in but um he he did have cases where one of the traps was fired and then he caught a martin on the other side later and and so they you know they they did tend to it didn't matter the side they went didn't seem to uh seem to matter so um this this is i have a metal hinge uh a little lesson learned you can use anything here some people just kind of have like a piece of wood and screw it shut and they just unscrew it with a portable uh like a just a, a regular cordless drill every time they come back and re want they, they need to check the bait, reset the bait, reset the trap, make a catch. They just take that apart, pull it out. That's fine. Um, people use like leather. You can, you can use a bunch of, it's got to be durable to kind of hold this in place. But um, what I was using uh, when I started, because these were a dollar fifty a piece or something like that, and I was, I was doing like 60 boxes and I didn't want to spend the money. I had a bunch of old like conveyor belt material, like really, really thick belting. And uh, I cut that up into strips, and then I put a strip down, and I zip on both sides, and it was just like a rubber hinge, and it was really heavy duty, uh, very functional. It was free, you know, it was awesome. And I've had comments from people, hey, that's a great idea. Well, guess what? It wasn't that good of an idea, and here's why: the rubber hinge was flexible, and so in certain cases, you know, in the woods, the ground is never level, right? And so if I'd set this box down on unlevel ground, sometimes this front piece would be higher or lower than the back piece and they wouldn't be perfectly matched up. And that means that this slot wasn't always lined up. And more times than I care to admit, uh, I'm just incredibly frustrated by this. I've had animals come in, set the trap off, and these two slots were not lined up and the trap fired and the springs got caught on the on the slots and that's why i've actually changed these slots by the way so that's another thing i'll talk about in a minute but um that that was incredibly frustrating and so i still have some of those old ones that i haven't replaced yet but all my new ones are going to have they have solid hinge so this this does not move that stays uh completely rugged um closing i have uh i just real cheap drill a screw on each side I angle them both in towards the center a little bit I wrap some wire around one side and then I wrap I close the box I wrap the wire on the other end and for redundancy just in case one breaks off or is rusty and gets weak and breaks I always have two to make sure that thing cannot open uh, bears will mess with these certain years certain times a year uh, that could be a pain so, so, um, I, I, I just, uh, I like that to be pretty tight. Um, uh, the good thing though is bears will tear your boxes apart, but they've set the trap off before they get it open anyway. So there's no chance that like a, a, a bear is going to open this up and then a lynx is going to go and get caught. It just doesn't happen that, that it takes so much force to, to get this box opened up. So a bear can get to the bait that they just destroy the trap, um, and, and, and fire it off anyway. Uh, I used coated wire. It seems to rust a lot slower. This is actually stuff that I got from uh, Newt Sterling. He's a snare man out of New Jersey. He sells trapping supplies. Snare one, 
Dot-com, and uh, he he works traps around saltwater a lot in Jersey, and uh, they get a lot of rust. And so this is like some, there's like some plastic sort of coating on this wire that makes it pretty resistant. It still cracks and rusts in the cracks and stuff, but it lasts longer, so that's good. Um, uh, real life, anyone try Kronk's Fisher Lure? Um, yeah, good question. Anyway, I've tried Kronk's. I've tried several of Kronk's, like the Allagash Fur Call and a few others. Uh, it's fine lure. It's good. You know, that's like uh, a lot of that's the old Walter Arnold formulas. Um, I, only thing I don't personally like about it is uh, I'm, I'm biased towards a, a thicker, like pasty grease type lure that, that you can just smear. And that is all liquid. Uh, at least all the Kronk lures that I've used are liquid. And so you got to have a good lure holder. Um, you can't just, you know, you, you can't can't just pour it on a tree or anything. It just kind of just soaks into the tree. It's, it still works. It's just I don't like the consistency as much. Um, Derek, wooden boxes I made this year. My spring slots are in the back half of the box. Used some old fire hoses and a couple blocks for hinge. Had good luck with Kronk's Allagash Fur Call, Fisher Number 1, and some of my LDC. Yeah, thanks, Derek. Um, so, so yeah, there, we could do a whole episode on lure someday. It'd be fun. But um, Derek mentioned the slots. So, so this is something where I've, I've learned a lot from screwing up. Uh, the slots can be legally up to an inch and a half tall by, I think, seven and a half inches long, something like that. Uh, mine are almost never longer than six inches long, and uh, I have narrowed them down over time. Now, the biggest thing that I've done more recently is where the trap sets, I have a much narrower slot, and then I widen that slot out where the spring, uh, as space for the spring to fire, for a couple reasons, and and I try to get the the trap spring slot. Um, I I try to have that like half of the width of the opening where the spring is going to uh, fire. Th- that the, the reason for that is so that if you do happen to have any movement in between the two pieces, maybe your hinge gets loose, or you get a, a different type of hinge like I did and some of my others, um, there's there's no chance that that spring is going to be caught on, on the edge of this slot. That, that can... Uh, <laughs> boxy outdoors cannot hear at a halloween party but hit that like button and we'll share all right thank you awesome appreciate it man um so so yeah that's i've lost i've lost animals like i mentioned that way um so that's one reason there's another reason and i don't know if i should set a trap to show you guys oh you guys you might get a kick out of this the, these are some of the traps that i use that are not Connie pans. Some of the few that I use that aren't Connie pans. And the reason for that is, oh, that's my tag. So that my tag's on there. But there's another tag on this trap. You're not going to be able to read it. Hold that up. The camera, you're not going to be able to read it. But the name on that is Russ Carmen. New Milford, Pennsylvania. So Russ Carmen, for those of you guys who don't know, is a really famous uh, trapper and lure maker from Pennsylvania. 
Um, I bought a bunch of his old 120s at a trapper convention a few years back, and just out of sort of nostalgia, um, I, I used some of them on my trap line. So Russ painted these camo, and these are these were his mink traps, and this is one of his circle triggers for mink, and he had a few different types of, of triggers on there. So just just for fun, I you know I kind of I like to use these uh, here and there. I get a few that I just sit around the shed and I, I don't use. I've sold some on the trappingtodaystore.com. I think I might have one up there for sale right now if you guys, if anyone's interested. So I'm going to set that. Short slot makes the trap spring forward toward the animal. Yes, uh, that's true. All right. So let's see if we can get this box open. I want to show you something. And we're going to wrap this up pretty soon. We've been going an hour or so. And... Uh, pretty much done saying what I need to say anyway, but I'm going to set this trap. Okay, and I'm going to try to raise this up so you guys on the YouTube can see it. So that is my 120 that's going into the slots, and then I'm going to I'm going to squeeze the slot, the springs uh yeah, probably squeeze them up so they're pressed up against that and let's pretend I took the safeties off and that trap is set and I'm gonna I'm gonna close the box this is baited and lured it's in great Martin habitat and we're gonna have one come in right now this is all set and all is fine and good okay I, I've this is a really important and when I started out, I was using the maximum that I could legally do. So this slot was going to be an inch and a half tall. Just like so, so it looked like this all the way through, right? And like one of the guys said on the on the uh, live stream comments, there, um, you having this spring right up against here, it does it does kind of shoot those springs and shoot the trap a little bit forward. If the trap wants to to jump a little bit, it's going to go toward the animal, which can be okay. Um, now. Here's the issue. Pretend that this is this width. And in fact, we may, yeah, okay. So so this is the type of spring slot that I was setting in. That's what can happen, okay? And I didn't realize that when I started out um, that that was going to matter because, hey, you know, I, oh, all I do, look, I pulled the springs tight, everything's tight, right? So for guys that are just listening in, um, my trap is wobbling back and forth, teeter-tottering inside that that um, that spring opening, that spring slot. And even though when this is set, everything's tight and it looks good, here's what happens. The animal comes in and it, it either catches one of the jaws with the side of its body, part of its body, its foot moves one of the corner of the jaws as it's, as it's running over to the trap, the trap, as it's being fired, the trap tilts sideways. The trap fires. The jaws get lodged on the corners of the inside of the box. And the animal goes through, steals the bait, comes out. I've had this happen at least three or four times. And I've lost animals that I should have had. That came in, fired the trap. The springs, the springs everything was fired. And the springs did not have a chance to... The jaws got lodged in the corner of the box. No animal. 
you open the box up, the trap fires. And so um, several animals were lost for that reason. And so now I stick with these narrow spring slots so that that wobbling, it can still wobble a little bit, but it can't, it's not enough that's going to allow the trap to not to freely fire. And if you do have a uh, larger inside opening the box, that's going to help you as well with that, uh, making that able to uh, fire. Oh, yeah. All right. I get a nice comment there. How do you? Let's see. Let's remove that. We report. How do we do that? Unwanted spam. Hate speech. Yeah, hate speech. All right, report that. Boy, that is awesome, man, guys. We're getting popular. Get all kinds of crazy nut job comments. <laughs> Can you guys report this stuff? get rid of that oh I think I can just hide that user huh yeah let's try that users messages hidden okay hopefully you guys don't see that stuff all right um, Judith and Dan yeah I got I got a troll that's that's cool we're getting popular guys <laughs> oh and by the way I should mention um, the, the podcast, I don't know if it's because uh, I was mentioning it on the YouTube videos or because uh, people started spreading the word a little bit. Or maybe, I think more likely it's just because it's trapping season, but we're like double, I'm like double the amount of downloads that, that it was um, uh, two, two months ago. So pretty awesome, or two, three months ago. Pretty awesome, a lot of people, um, a lot of people listening in here. So, hey, good, get to grow, get to grow a little more. I'm excited about that. Um, okay, Jack, if you have a few minutes, could you speak a bit about the habitat you're looking to set in? Yes, I can, Jack. Absolutely. I'm going to get caught up in the rest of these. Click his name. Okay, reported. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Um, reported them. Tap the name. Select report. Yep, I did that. And I, I guess you guys did too. Thank you. Yes, I did. All right. Oh, man. Trolls. Trolls. I still wonder why people do that. Okay, um, we will take just a, I'm going to wrap it up, but um, I do want to talk about, oh, Jeff McLean, start beaver and water fur on Monday. Yes, awesome, man. Good, I'm glad for you. I think I, I'm going to, as soon as I get back from a uh, trip in the woods, I'm, I'm going to, uh, unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to be working, not trapping, but but when I'm, when I'm, uh, able to i think i'm going to set probably for beavers for a couple days i need a probably a couple more beaver carcasses to get enough bait for martin fisher and then i'm going to be out in the big woods and so uh one of the things that this i'm going to be real brief jack on on the habitat um but because that's an hour that's a good hour at least so and and a good thing one of the good things to do would be to um to, to talk to have somebody like some beginner trappers ask me some more detailed specific questions about uh, Martin and Fisher habitat and so that because the problem is to me it it's it's all seems obvious because I've done it for close to 20 years 
and I, I know what to look for, but subconsciously, I'm not really thinking like, you know, I assume that, I assume it's just, you know, this is everybody's common knowledge, but it's not. And so there's things that I overlook that, that come into my consideration on, you know, what to, to choose, what to pick for habitat that, uh, I, I might not do a very good job of explaining in detail, but I'm just going to be, <laughs> I'm just a nice haircut. <laughs> oh man. And cruiser. So, um, just real quick, Martin, Martin need mature forest. Um, Martin need overhead cover. And so that's, that's really what we're looking for in Northern Maine. What I've have learned is, you know, in, in a lot of places, the classic Martin habitat is, is softwood. It's spruce, spruce fir type forest, uh, especially like in intermountain Western States uh, up in Alaska, you're, you're looking at spruce and fir. Um, in Maine, it is mixed. It, it's, it's mixed hardwood and softwood. So I'm looking for a mature forest, mixed hardwood and softwood, a good overhead canopy, um, that's going to protect Martin from, from overhead predators, uh, hawks, um, birds, birds of prey, and habitat complexity on the ground. And complexity doesn't mean a bunch of little brush that you're going to go through. Complexity means uh, this is a forest that's been able to naturally uh, function as a forest for many, many decades. Trees have died and fell down. Uh, those down trees are rotting. You got hollow logs. You got places for Martin to come in and get away from from predators like Fisher, and you've got habitat for mice and voles and all kinds of stuff on the forest floor that Martin are going to hunt for. Um, you're looking for little edges, little openings, um, not big openings. You're looking for edges, uh, but mainly you're looking for that cover. Um, there's a lot of other really subtle things that I see when I'm out in the woods, and I've learned that um, I, I've learned to look for and it's just like oh i see that that's usually good martin habitat when i see that i catch martin um, so so th things like that um cedar swamps edges of cedar swamps seem to do pretty well uh for me uh, but not necessarily in the dead in the middle of cedar swamp usually where there's a transition um it from cedar into the uplands and the biggest eye-opening thing for me if you go to trappingtoday.com and search, just do a search like martin and habitat on on the search bar of the website you're going to see an article i wrote with tons of pictures uh aerial images and stuff from my martin trap line i did an article on habitat specifically and the big eye-opener for me recently uh, recently has been uh micro versus macro habitat and just different scales of habitat where I was looking for Martin habitat on a ground level view where I could see in the woods and the woods look good. But what I wasn't doing was uh, scaling out on a broad landscape level and looking at blocks of townships, like six miles, like, like 30, 40 square miles, um, you know, 20, 30,000 acres at a time. And that is where I learned that by focusing on those huge core blocks of good Martin habitat, um, I was going around and seeing good Martin habitat, but I didn't realize that when you zoomed way out, um, we were in sections of the industrial forest where certain landowners are just absolutely hammering the timber, um, just destroying Martin habitat that's out there. Uh, no old growth left on their land base except for a few little spots along streams, uh, which they're going back and cutting now. 
uh, in a lot of places. And so what I learned was, you know, I'm actually looking at just a few acres of good Martin habitat, but it's surrounded by thousand acres of bad Martin habitat. And those places I was tending to catch more fishers because uh, fisher don't require that, that amount of cover that Martin do. Um, however, when you get deep snow, fisher do require, uh, places they can get around outside of the deep snow. So then they go into a lot of the cedar swamps and the thick, uh, thick spruce and fir thickets and stuff. So that's just a little beginner, a little intro to that, but go to the website and see if you can find that more. Uh, <laughs> Keith hockey game is over right on, man. This is over too. I'm just going to wrap it up here. Um, hairstyle mock five. Okay. Ambush. All right, guys, glad to see everybody kind of chatting with each other. Um, I'm going to wrap it up. I appreciate everybody listening in. I appreciate you guys on the podcast, too. Um, if you're on the podcast, check out the YouTube channel. If you're on the YouTube channel, check out the podcast. Um, yeah, it's trapping season. I'm excited. Uh, Jax says, thanks. Keep my eye out for a good old growth habitat. Um, just a hungry wood cutter. <laughs> Jack, I have a woodlot at my house, and I harvest timber on it, too. I actually was cutting a bunch of uh, wood today. So, yeah, just, uh, just you just you have to you just have to be in the right. Certain things Martin need, and it's just not compatible with a lot of the, the types of harvest that I'm seeing out there in, in the big woods. So um, you got to look at it on a landscape scale. Uh, there are areas I've seen that have been harvested that I think are still excellent Martin habitat. Um, but it's, it's just like those big rolling clear cuts, um, and monoculture spruce plantations just don't have that habitat. They don't have the cover and they don't have the complexity that Martin need. Um, Fisher are, are definitely a lot more, um, Fisher have actually become a lot more abundant because of that. You know, that habitat has opened up Fisher, uh, 20 years ago, we're, we're kind of, really just common in the eastern part of the county in the in the farm country in the edge of the farms and uh, now they've moved their their they're super common here um throughout throughout northern maine now so anyway but you know really the fact is we got little pockets of martin habitat you go out there you catch them enjoy it but i realize you're never going to be in like core prime martin country anymore i know old timers i've talked to that when the forest was different in in the 70s um guys guys 70s 80s when whenever the there wasn't there was no martin limit a lot of those guys in maine were were catching 100 martin in a season um, i know one guy that talks about 200 so uh those days will never happen even if we didn't have a limit I, it, you'd have you'd have a really hard time in a lot of this this ground so um we just enjoy it and uh someday i'll maybe i'll trap martin in alaska it'd be awesome so all right guys Good night. Good luck, everybody. Have a great trapping season. I'll try to check in here. Uh, I'll be weekly in the podcast, at, uh, as always, at least for the next couple of months. And then um, uh, the YouTube, we'll just see how it goes. I might I might crank out a few videos uh, here and there. All right, take care. Have a great night. Oh, and it's time for the Cotsboro's message of the week. Check out Cots Brothers uh, aluminum wire screen pan covers. If you haven't gotten your pan covers all set up <coughs> for trapping season, uh, be sure to go to CotsBros.com. Get your pan covers. These are uh, special machine stamped and uh, edges are all cleaned up on them. 
real good product, uh, new product. So check them out and check out. They get some specials and some some lures and stuff that they're doing as well. So, um, anyways, guys, thanks again. Keep on talking trapping. Keep on thinking trapping. We'll catch you on the next episode.